Well, hello, West. My name is Satan. How are you all today? Well, you might not just know me by Satan. I have a few other names like Lucifer, ruler of the demons, devil, accuser, prince of darkness, serpent, adversary, tempter, Beelzebub, wicked one. I love them all. You know, I'm going to talk about a topic that humans are just absolutely fascinated with. It's the topic and idea of hell, my favorite. And you know how I know you all are interested? Satan's been listening to you. And I go around and I hear you all saying, hell no, and go to hell, and to hell and back, and hell yeah. And I've even heard your own preacher while working on some financial reports saying, what the hell? And how in the hell? So you guys are really obsessed. So since you have such an interest, I want to clear up some things. Like, first off, I don't wear Prada. I'm more of a Gucci girl. And I can't play the fiddle. You know, stop asking me to battle you. I've never even been to Georgia. Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're going to regret, because I'm the best as ever been. Johnny, rising up your bow and play your fiddle hard, because hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle made of gold, but if you lose, the devil gets your soul. I don't have a fiddle of gold. I'm sorry. And you know what? I don't have a tail. That, no, that doesn't look anything like me. Oh, and last off, this one, this one really gets me. There's no highway. No. You're going to get lost. You got to take the back roads. Everybody knows that. So now that I've cleared the air about these misconceptions, I want to talk about the real reason I'm here. I'm hiring new demon assistants, and I heard that West was the place to go. I mean, this is a dark church. I can't see any of you. And since I'm the prince of darkness, I'm looking for some dark souls. So you guys are perfect. You check that one off the list. Now, Let's go into some other characteristics. I'm looking for people who love the heat, just love it, and also who look good in red. 
and are really done with the whole bearded guy and the pearly gates, all that nonsense. But if you meet all those requirements, you can work in hell for me. And it's the best place to work, let me tell you. No spray tans, you don't have to worry about it. We're all tan down there. And you never know who you'll run into. Old teachers, old friends. It's so fun. And the best part is, it's anything goes. It's always five o'clock in hell. And on Friday, we even have game nights. My favorite is the commandment challenge, where in 10 minutes, you see how many commandments you can break. Like, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt honor the Sabbath. It's great. Everybody loves it. So, you might think, wow, this is just a crazy idea. But, I mean, hell isn't just a place you go when you die. I mean, have you ever been to the DMV? It's just like that. It's a little mini hell experience. Because hell, it isn't some fiery place. It's really just a separation from God. So whenever you're struggling and ignoring God, you're tasting a little slice of hell. So remember, there's a special place in hell for all of us. And if you're interested, call me at 666-666-6666. that I am not a total heathen as your pastor and leader, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said the word hell? If you have, I would like for you to clap. Thank you. So I'm not alone. Uh, yearly, pastors get this report in the end, at the end of or the middle of December. I always question why our denomination would send us like an eight-page report with, I think there's like 170 items that must be filled in, and why we get that in December, because that is a little bit of a busy time of year, and it's usually due the middle of January, and so most preachers lapse into like a Christmas coma after the season is over, but we have these things called statistical reports. And when Hannah and I were talking about her monologue this morning, I did realize that one of the first times that I was embarrassed for my language around the staff was I was sitting in the middle of a meeting with doing the statistical report with one of our newer staff, Leanne Rose, and we had to quantify the difference that West makes in the lives of other people. And we had to break it down into categories. We had to talk about how many lives we had touched in relation to poverty how many lives we had touched in relation to homelessness, how many lives we had touched in relation to education. And when we had to come up with those numbers, I looked at Leanne and said, what the hell? 
How in the world are we supposed to do that? And Leanne's eyes got big and I thought, Andrea, perhaps we should watch our language. So the bottom line is, it is a word that we do talk about. And truthfully, as you have joined in with me, uh, it's not just something we talk about in religious circles. The statements that Hannah said, we do say, what the hell? Uh, The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Perhaps you've heard that saying. Uh, It's just, it's a topic that we throw around rather loosely, I believe. And I I do believe post the enlightenment period, that's a period of time in our history, our concept as Western Christians, westernized Christians, our concept of hell is perhaps a little different than what Jesus and the uh, Judaic people understood. So that's what we're going to explore this morning. So I want you for just a second to think internally, how do you understand the concept of hell? When you hear that term, what do you think about? And uh, go back to a conversation I had a few weeks ago with a friend of mine, and we were talking about Uh, the concept of heaven and hell and the afterlife and God's redemptive work and how God works in and through all things to redeem them. And ultimately, the conversation came around to who spends eternity and hell. And in three, in two more weeks, we're going to talk about the word eternity and what that means. But that's the conversation that my friend and I were having. And he said to me, I just don't know that I'm okay with the concept that everybody ends up in heaven. That God's redemptive work could potentially continue to work after the, our physical death is here. And that ultimately somehow over the vast spanse of infinity that maybe God redeems ultimately all things to God's self. He said, you know, I feel like some people just always end up in hell. Where do you land on thinking about that? So for the next few minutes, I want us to look at some passages of scripture. And this is the teaching part that I talked about. Uh, This is not one of those you're going to, well, I hope you leave, you know, feeling enlightened or closer to God, but it's probably not one of those warm, fuzzy messages where we laugh a little and then maybe we cry a little and then you leave going, wow, I'm so glad that I'm a part of this church family. But That is my hope that you leave going, wow, I am so glad I'm part of a community that is willing to talk about tough topics because hell is a topic, heaven is a topic, and death and the afterlife, they are topics that we all think about and we all, whether we admit it or not, struggle with in one way or another. Now, there is a saying that is is termed like this, Jesus brought a living gospel to the people that followed him. And he did it by teaching that death had to happen first before life really did. Let me say that last part one more time. That death had to happen before life 
did. And that's sort of a foundational concept that I want us to hold on to this morning as we talk about the actual word hell. Now, I want to pull up on the screen the three examples of this word in Scripture. Scripture is written, the the Bible, the Holy Bible that we refer to it as, whether it's the King James Version, the Message, the English Standard Version, there's hundreds of versions of Scripture. It comes from three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Now, the production team's going to leave this slide up there for the next few minutes, but I want to tell you a a story about how scripture came into being and how we interpret it this how we interpret this and this is also an important concept to understand whether you agree with the the whole conversation around heaven and hell there are lots of topics that are going on in our nation and especially right now in our denomination as united methodists about the interpretation of scripture and if nothing good comes out of my time as your pastor at West, it is my hope that you walk away with an understanding of how, how we take this and we make it relevant to our everyday lives. Because you see, when I grew up, I've been in the church from the time that I was born until now. I've never gone through a period in my life that was unchurched. So by the time I went into ministry, I thought I knew the Bible. There was a period in my life you could say things like Habakkuk, and I could turn to the book of Habakkuk, and we would get prizes in Sunday school for who could turn to that passage the quickest. I knew scripture. I felt like I knew it inside and out. And frankly, I was cocky. I was a religiously cocky person. And then what happened was I went into ministry and started taking disciple Bible study. And if you've never had the chance to take that, the next time West offers it, I really do recommend it because you actually really dig deeper into this and and we give scripture room to breathe. And that is what is so important because you see, scripture was not written in English. You cannot just take this and read it and interpret it literally because if we did, we would all have slaves. That is the, one of the first things that would happen because that is a biblical thing that is talked about. They also had multiple wives and probably most of the women in here would not agree with that happening in our marriages. We would wear linens of one fiber. Uh, we would not eat pork. There are all kinds of rules and regulations that are in here. We heard Hannah, uh, the devil, joke about the Ten Commandments, and that's one set of rules, but there's about 600 plus in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and if we were to take all of those literally, we would be in trouble. So, so then the question comes, what do we take literally and what do we interpret figuratively or metaphorically? And the bottom line is absolutely nobody really, really, really knows. So if you ever hear a pastor telling you that they have absolute truth about the interpretation of this, especially if that is me, I hope you run the other way because the only absolute truth that I believe we can hold on to is God is love. That is the absolute 
absolute. The interpretation of this, honestly, it is left to human interpretation. And here is why. The original scripture was written in three different languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament and parts of the Old Testament were written in Aramaic. But the majority of it was written in ancient Hebrew. Then there are a few parts and pieces that were written in Aramaic. And then there is the New Testament, the scriptures that are written in Greek. Now, when the New Testament scholars wrote the books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, on through Revelation, when they wrote those books, guess what? Even they were interpreting the Old Testament scriptures. They were interpreting the Hebrew scriptures, and that became known to be the Septuagint. And that was what they called the Hebrew Bible. So by the time that the New Testament scholars got around to interpreting the New Testament, it had already been through at least one other interpretation in the Hebrew scholars. So there's lots of different ways of looking at words. If you have a Bible, I invite you sometime when you're at home to look in the back at this thing called a concordance. That is what you'll find in the back of every Bible, uh, other books as well. And what that is, is a conglomeration, a collection of the words that are used in that Bible or that book. So for instance, if you were going to look up in the concordance, the word hell, you would find all the different times that the word hell has been used in scripture. And you think, okay, good. Well, the problem is what has happened over the thousands and thousands of years that scripture has been in existence is that we have taken what we have put into English and we have taken the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic words and we have put them into one word that gives us a definition of the concept that we know. And so today, for the next few minutes, we're going to look at that word, hell, or hail, if you're like me and from the deep south. So I want you to look. If you look in the Old Testament scriptures and you see the word Sheol, that was called the underworld and it was called the grave. I want to read you a few passages from the book of Psalms and this is where the word hell, if you are reading the King James Version, which was one of the original English translations or the original English translation, If you were to read these verses in the King James Version, you would find the word hell, okay? Here are the verses. Psalms 18, the cords of hell entangle me. But if you look at the Hebrew interpretation and the original Hebrew text, it says the cords of Sheol entangle me. Then there's Psalm 30. You lifted me out of the depths. How many of us, when we've heard about the concept of hell, we think about it as a a deep place that, you know, we go down to the depths of hell. That's one of the passages that that concept comes from. You lifted me out. The psalmist David is praying to God, you lifted me out of the depths of hell, meaning the depths of Sheol or the underworld. And then Psalm 103, the Lord who redeems your life from the pit, that also was Sheol or hell. And then Psalm 6, who praises you from hell? Who praises you from the grave? So the word Sheol is used 
consistently in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures, and it means the underworld or the grave. Now then there is another word, it's the Aramaic word, it's Hades. And Hades refers to, uh, it means not to be seen, that you are in such a place or such a way that you cannot be seen, that God cannot be seen. So imagine if you're crying out to God and you don't feel God's presence with you, you cry out from the depths of Hades where you've not been seen. And that is found in Psalm 16. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me, God, to the realm of the dead, the place that you cannot be seen. And then most recently, and probably the term of hell that we are most familiar with, I find the most fascinating. Because when we read the book of Revelation and we read other examples in the New Testament like this one, we have this concept that we parodied just a little earlier that hell is this this fiery pit, this place where the neat, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth occurs. Listen to to this passage. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And I'm gonna stop for just a second and push us to listen to this just a little differently. There are so many heated topics around social justice issues and acceptance, especially in our denomination right now, around the issue of sexuality. And if you are in any kind of preacher circles on Facebook, when you scroll through, you see article after article after article on this, because right now as a denomination, we are facing a decision about how we are going to move forward. And the the core issue at hand is how we understand this. And you see, there is a group of people that believe very strongly this way. And then there's another group of people that believe very strongly this way. And then honestly, there's the majority that sit in the middle and say, you know, it's up to interpretation and there is room for movement and acceptance within this. And maybe just maybe we ought to leave it all up to God to decide. And let's just let let it go and not cause this huge rift or this huge divide. But that is not where we are right now as a denomination because there's so much chatter on both ends. What I personally find interesting, and the next time that you engage in a dialogue with someone about a heated topic, uh, whether it's human sexuality, or frankly, some of you have shared with me that you have friends that you would love to invite to West, and you really think they like it, it's non-threatening, and we do fun things, and we have secular music, etc. but there's this issue that I am a female, and they just can't get past the fact that I am a woman. And honestly, truthfully, you're probably not gonna win that argument. I wish it were different, but it isn't. There, there is this scripture in the New Testament that that says women can never have authority over men. And so therefore, if a woman is a pastor, you know, how can she have leadership authority and all that kind of stuff? But so we interpret, and I tell you all that to say that we interpret scripture very passionately when it's something that we have a strong opinion about. 
But when there are other topics, like the one that I'm getting ready to read, that pushes us into places that we don't necessarily want to go or want to deal with what Scripture said, we inter- says we interpret it a different way. Um, I want you to clap if you know of someone that has been divorced. Would you clap? One of the deal breakers for me in my formative years, my formative teenage years, and my Baptist church where I was growing up was one Sunday evening, we studied this passage and some others, and there was no room for interpretation. And my stepmother, whom I adored dearly, uh, was divorced. And we were studying a passage on divorce. And they're pretty clear that that's not okay in the scripture. So I find it interesting that, you know, we will weigh down so heavily on passages around human sexuality and and other things. But when it comes to something that hits a little closer to home, for some of us, we just sort of skirt over that. The other issue is, is the issue of gluttony, you know. There, the Apostle Paul is pretty clear that our bodies are temples and we are not to be gluttonous, but we just, you know, skip on through that. So if we will be so subjective to those passages, I would ask why we're not subjective to them all. Why do we not weigh them all against reason and tradition and the, the scripture and experience and what actually makes sense? So the last passage that I'm going to share with us this morning about hell is this one. And it goes back to the Greek interpretation of the word. It's called Gehenna. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in your heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your body members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I, Jesus, says to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And what did we just read about adultery? That if it happens, you know, we need to go to hell. So what does all that mean? Gehenna is the literal valley of Hainan. It is a place of the punishment of the wicked. It was on the southwest, I believe, side of Jerusalem. It's a real, real place. I want to show you a picture of it now. You will see in the upper right hand of the screen the gates, the city gates of Jerusalem. And if you're familiar at all with the Hebrew scriptures, you know that Jerusalem, the holy city, was built uh, in the middle of the promised land that the Israelites were inhabiting. And the whole city, the temple, had gates that surrounded the whole city. And just outside the gates was the valley of Gehenna, the valley of hell. 
where there was a weeping and a gnashing of teeth because guess what? It was the town dump. And how did they get rid of their trash back then? There was a fire. So in the middle of this valley of Gehenna, there was a fire with flames and heat. And guess what? They would throw decaying bodies there if the people did not have a tomb. In fact, scholars Joseph of Arimathea has written that if a tomb had not been prepared for Jesus and given to Jesus, that this is where his body would have been disposed of. I want to show you a picture of a modern day dump. This is not the Valley of Gehenna. But this is what a dump looks like uh, actually in Nicaragua today. Do you see that they are burning the trash? This is what it was like several thousand years ago. And when you read the word hell throughout the New Testament, this is what they're talking about. It was a real live physical place. So when your friends ask you, do you believe in hell? You can say, absolutely, the Valley of Gehenna right outside the walls of Jerusalem. It is was real. When Jesus was trying to tell people how to live, this is what he refers to. And so in conclusion today, that's what I want us to walk away with. See, Jesus came to revolutionize what felt like to be dead religion within people's hearts. And the thing that I find the most interesting, honestly, and I hate to make this about me, but But for this study, the thing that I find the most interesting as I study all this is that when Jesus is talking about the concept of hell all throughout the New Testament, and I've read the passages this week and in weeks prior that refer to this, when he is talking about it to them, guess who he's talking to? He is not talking to the pagans. He's not talking to the people that were uh, not the Jews, He was not talking to the Samaritans. He was not talking to the Gentiles. He was talking to the Jewish people. So he was not saying, you know, hey, look, if they do this, this, and this, they're out of here. He was trying to ignite in them a passion to live a life that has experienced a death to their ego and a death to their own self so that they may truly live. That was his whole message the whole way through. That in order to experience life, we must die to our ego and our pride and our selfish selves first so that then we can embrace a life that is enjoyable and worth living. And I say enjoyable because life is created to be full of joy, not happiness, which is situational, but joy. Jesus came so that we may have life and that our life in him will be made complete. That was the whole point. So when he referred to hell, Gehenna, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, he was conjuring up in his mind and in their minds that image. Do we believe that hell is real? Yes. We believe that hell is separation from God, love, and that God's love abides in us and with us and for us. It is ours for the taking. We have to claim it. And so back to the original question, you know, whether people end up in hell forever or not. When Rob Bell wrote his book, he kept bringing in examples of scripture where like Paul wrote that God redeems all things and all people to God's self through Christ Jesus our Lord. And there is no time constraint on that. But is hell real? Yeah. 
Because hell is separation from love. And I guarantee us, if we will ask people that are starving from poverty, odds are maybe they do feel separated from love. Or if you're talking to someone that has experienced uh, acute depression, they feel separated from love. Or someone that has been abused at the hands of someone else, they feel separated from love. A friend of mine was talking to me about his son that is addicted to opiates. Uh, he has had him in some of the most, most renowned treatment centers in California, here in North Carolina. The young man has been in and out of jail. He has gone through detox a couple of times in jail. And right now he is just sort of in, in an in-between place. And the young man is a man of faith. And so he was talking to his dad not too long ago and he said, you know, I just can't seem to beat this demon that lives inside of me called addiction. I can't beat it, dad. It's not that I don't want to. I don't know how to. And sometimes, dad, I just feel like I'm better off dead. So of course that caused his father great concern. And as we were sitting talking, he said, you know, Andrea, I just don't know how to reconcile this and I don't know how to deal with it because he wants to be dead. And sometimes I wonder if that won't be when he finally experiences peace. But then I worry that he will be forever in hell. And I said, Please hear me that I am not advocating that as a way out because I believe that there is always hope. And addiction is an evil, evil demon or disease. But I do believe that there's hope. But the one thing that I would ask you is, do you not think he's living in hell right now? People around us live in hell every single day. Yeah, I believe that we can die separated from the love of God. Now, I'm going to have some hope that in the spance of eternity and eternal life, God redeems all things. That's my hope. I have no idea if that's true or not, but that's my hope. But listen, if you're going to give up an hour and 15 minutes of your life on, week, on weekends when you could be sleeping in and enjoying the lake, or if you're going to give up your commitment that you're willing to be a part of a faith community, then there has to be something to this. And there has to be something, some purpose that unites us together. Or else you really are just wasting your time because I'm not that entertaining. I will bore you eventually. So there has to be more to this. And the more that I believe and I will stake everything on is that there is a heaven, an eternal, an eternal connection with God and love, but there is also hell, separation from that God and that love. And that hell can happen and does happen right here, right now. And it's up to us to usher in Christ's love so that people can do things like overcome addictions and do with suicidal thoughts and not go hungry anymore 
and find that there's a peace that is far bigger than anything they could ever know or understand. That's why we unite together as a faith community and a church so we can combat the hell that does exist here on earth. It is up to us. We are Christ's hands and feet. And it is through us that I believe the world can experience redemption. Let us pray. Gracious God, you can and will redeem all things and you need us to help make that happen. So I just ask that you be with us, you work in us so that we can offer your redemption and your hope to a world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this morning, we start three weeks of talking about hell, then heaven. Next week's a happy Sunday. We'll talk about heaven and then the final Sunday, eternal life. We have devotions that go along with each of these uh, topics. So starting today, there was a devotion that went out this morning talking about the understanding of the concept of hell. If you would like to get those devotions, just email me or you can go to our website and click to sign up. But Andrea Heading West, I'd love for you to be a part of the conversation. If you really disagree, with what I've said this morning. I really do welcome your questions and we can sit down and talk about it. I don't profess absolute truth other than God is love. So thank you for being willing to engage in the dialogue. On Thursday night this week at Williamson's Chapel, our sister United Methodist Church, the one that gave birth to us, they are having this thing called a rocking revival. So their worship team is gonna be doing some upbeat Christian music and it's like a, a big block party and they invited our food truck, which thanks to Faye and Tyler is wrapped and ready to go and still functioning every Sunday morning. So huge shout out to them and the other folks of West and the other churches that are a part of that. But they made sure the thing got wrapped and now it looks like a giant pink pig. So huge shout out to them. Come see the truck on Thursday night. And for a donation, we are not selling food, but you can make a donation to Acres of Hope, our friends in Uganda, Africa. All money that we collect as a pig out ministry will go to that. And, you know, I do believe after having been there that that is some individual's hell on earth. And we are making a difference and a dent in that concept and that place of hell. Thank you. May you go in the peace and the love of knowing that God is an infinite and abounding love. I was going to say Merry Christmas, but it is not Christmas. That's what happens when I go on vacation. It's not Christmas. Go in peace and Merry Christmas.